Welcome to this episode of Real World HR, the podcast that puts the human back into HR. Today, I'm joined by the incredible Tom Chapman. Tom is a pioneer in barber and a founder of Tom Chapman Hair Design and the Lions Barber Collective. After recognising the unique position barbers have in supporting men's mental health, Tom established the collective to train hair professionals in suicide prevention. His work has been featured in various media platforms and him multiple awards, including one with the Prime Minister and an endorsement from His Royal Highness, the Prince William. It doesn't stop there. Tom is a TEDx speaker and also the subject of an Amazon Prime documentary, The 1.7 Million Haircut. In today's episode, we dive into Tom's story, why he's so passionate about men's mental health and the role we must all play in suicide prevention. Are you ready to step into the real world of HR? So thanks very much, Tom, for agreeing to have our conversation today. I'm kind of really, really looking forward to this. Obviously, kind of work from a HR point of view, we deal with so many different businesses, but there's so many things that are coming up with regard to men's mental health. And I think this will be kind of a a real eye-opener conversation that will come through there as well. So do you just want to give me a little bit of an overview of who you are? I've given you a little bit of a chat there, but mm-hmm. overview of who you are and what it is that you you do and what's kind of the primary things that you're doing. Yeah, of course. I think you gave a pretty good uh, backstory there, to be honest with you, but probably said more things than I would have remembered. Yeah, so I, I, I'm the founder of Lions Barber Collective. Uh, Lions Barber Collective Vision is a world free from suicide, and our mission is to create non-clinical, non-judgmental safe spaces where people feel comfortable to talk about their mental health and then be able to signpost them to support and information. We're not trying to replace doctors or therapists or anything like that. It's more about bridging the gap between the communities that we serve in the hair and beauty industry and the resources that are available because 72% of people who end their life have had no contact with mental health services in the 12 months before they die, but they've probably had a haircut. So it's about just reaching out into those those public spaces, reaching the unreachable essentially is what we try and do. There's loads of different ways in which we do that, but I'm sure we'll get into that. Yeah. So how did that start off then? So you were obviously a barber. How did you kind of make the leap from kind of the, the barbering element and kind of seeing the benefit out of it to, to getting, I suppose, the, the starting point of, you know, being able to provide people support in that way? So I lost a friend to suicide basically in 2014. Uh, seen him a few days before, completely on the way, he was struggling. And um, yeah, but I found, so it was a big shock when I found out that he'd ended his life. Obviously, it was the first. Well, it was the first time that I had experienced mental health in any shape or form, let alone the most extreme form yeah. of suicide. And yeah. there was a moment when I was at his funeral, and there was not enough room basically because it was so many people attended. And I was one of the first people to be ushered to the front, and I was stood next to his coffin, looking back at the room of all these faces that spilled out into the foyer and beyond, and all of the the sort of sadness and love on those faces I and, and catching those sort of glances of people the nods and the, you know to say that they had so many people that loved him yeah he felt so alone and it was quite a unique position to be in for a funeral normally it's quite an insular emotional experience you deal with your own emotions you're looking at the back of people's heads it's very much your own little space and seeing it from that other perspective I think had a huge impact on me and made me think I need to do something about this I was reasonably prominent in the barbering industry as a global barber director, which basically means I was traveling around the, the world, cutting hair on stage, developing education, photo shoots, product development, all that kind of stuff. So I knew quite a lot of high profile barbers and I thought maybe we could create a lookbook, coffee table book like of men's haircut images that we could put in barber shops. Men would flick through to see what haircut they wanted, but align that with mental health messaging and hopefully try and reach some guys and raise money for charity that way. And then 
talking to my clientele about what I was doing, all of them pretty much said to me, that's amazing. You helped me when I was going through and just insert problem here, like whether it's financial, whether it was relationship or whether it was situational, whatever it may have been, they said that I'd helped them. I didn't realize I was doing that. And one of the guys was actually in a really bad place and I'd had no training at the time and just said to him, look, it's okay to feel that way. There is help out there and gave him a few resources and told him that it would be okay. And he actually went to end his life and had a thought about the conversation that we'd had. And at that moment, it was enough to get him back in his car, drive to his parents' house, start his journey into recovery and, you know, quite happily stay still alive today and has his own family and his own house and business and a real true success story. And that is what made me think there's more to this than just a, a collection of haircuts on in barbershops in a book you know there's something we can do more if i can do this with little to no training how many other hair and beauty professionals are having these conversations daily yeah mm-hmm. and uh, i mean what an absolutely interesting story you know from the point of view of that you've obviously gone through your own personal loss but to have that reflection point of being able to look at other people and how they reacted in that situation and i suppose it comes down to kind of you said there at the beginning you didn't know that the person was going through that at the time and i think that's the that's the biggest point i think when it comes to any mental health isn't it that, people put the face on the kind of the the go and and the do and you don't realize how much people are struggling behind the scenes so I think there's a kind of a real strength around what you've done and kind of you are in that situation where people I would imagine probably open up to you quite a lot more because you're in a a one-to-one situation and I suppose in essence very often looking at themselves in the mirror as they're talking about it I wonder whether that's got anything to to do with how open people feel about sharing things as well. I think the mirror does play a part. I think it's there's a sense of reflection, isn't there? And maybe looking at themselves, but also I think the lack of eye contact between the two human beings speaking is quite important as well, because I think a lot of people find it very confrontational or very clinical, sat opposite somebody over a desk or whatever. You know, it, by having that intimacy and license to touch, we are touching your head, your neck, your face of men and women. And that's very rare, that human connection. Mm-hmm. So actually having that human contact is quite, I think, quite important. The human touch releases oxytocin, so it's a feel-good hormone anyway. And then there's trust in us to give you a good haircut, which is, yeah. and very people are very precious about their hair. So there's also that trust where we have the, we're a familiar stranger. We know you very well. I've known people for 20 years, but only in that situation, not in a, it's not, we're yeah. not a part of their social circle. So I think that all those elements add to it. I think the fact that when we do speak, if we do have eye contact, it's through a mirror. So it does add a little bit of disconnection from that sort of confrontational face-to-face mm-hmm. about a very difficult subject. It's like if you go on a long road trip with somebody, you end up having great conversations or if you're walking with somebody or riding a bike with somebody, people tend to have, to have these better conversations. And Samaritans actually found out with men, especially they rather, they talk better when they're doing something else right so when they're doing something so really and in essence what you were saying there around really uh, probably not having the eye contact as you say if you're walking you haven't got the eye contact if you're driving you haven't got the eye contact so i would imagine there's some research around kind of what would be really positive from that as well so did you then go and decide to to become trained in some way around kind of being able to provide people that support or was it kind of a bit of a, a bigger collective element of it what came next really I think I, I think being in the hair industry, you have to be good at listening. It's estimated that hairdressers listen on average 2,000 hours a year. You have to listen to what people want done anyway. Like if you come in and I ask you what you want done to your hair and I don't listen, 
you're not going to be a very successful hairdresser or popular barber because you have to listen. It's part of our skill set. But I actually went and did mental health first aid, suicide assist, safe talk. I did loads and loads of different things, whatever I could get my hands on at the time. And I figured that if I could save that person's life without any training at all, if I had a little bit more knowledge, what could we achieve? And I actually tried to get, I got funding for mental health first aid for 12 hairdressers and barbers, which I thought was such a small number. It'd be so easy to get that filled. And it proved very difficult. Two days, full training. Most people are self-employed. They didn't, you know, they, couldn't, they don't have the ability to take two days off to go and do mental health training. And I think the ones that we finally did, we filled it up with mostly my staff at the time and people from the South Devon College Hair and Beauty Department. And the feedback was it was very heavy. It was this, they didn't feel comfortable in it. So that made me think maybe there's something that I can do to, or develop that would be more relevant for the hair and beauty industry, maybe a bit more bespoke. So I worked alongside Jerry Cadigan at the time, who was public health, and then later on, Dr. Peter Aitken, who is the medical director for Sussex um, and a suicide prevention lead, to create what started off as Barber Talk and has now developed into we have Hair and Beauty Talk, but we also have Here to Talk, which is a non industry specific one. And also, my fourth book, How to Listen to a Member Talk, is based off the training itself and the four pillars of simplifying it down to a conversation of recognizing the signs that someone's struggling how to ask good questions and ask them with confidence, how to listen well or better, and then how to help that person find the help they need. And then that just tops off. We finish it off with a little bit about how we look after our own mental well-being, reminding people you can't pour from an empty cup. You need to be able to offload and keep yourself well if you want to help others. And since then, we've done that. We've trained over 3,500 hair professionals, and I've delivered it at places like eBay and Hewlett-Packard, and some local councils and it's been really interesting to see how that skill set of having a starting and having a difficult conversation is so rare people often do recognize the signs that someone's struggling but justify it to themselves why not to ask that person because they're more fearful of the answer than the person struggling so it's really interesting to see how that's developed and how it's been used in different parts of the communities yeah i think because it obviously kind of referencing the fact that we obviously work with so many businesses and one business I was in last week and they were the employee who'd been off work for some really bad kind of anxiety and stress but he was really wanting somebody kind of in-house in the business the business only had like 40 employees wanting somebody in-house in the business to be able to to speak to and to to listen and obviously it was kind of like a warehouse type environment and uh, drivers and you know the, the skill set wasn't there with people internal within the business to be able to kind of you can listen but actually very often listen to respond on as opposed to listen to yes. kind of absorb the information and the other point that you made there is people feel very uncomfortable with it you know I think people don't always want to get involved in the conversation because they don't know what the answer is going to be so they don't know how they're going to respond to the other don't know what they should do with the information that that comes back to them as well so that area that you've put together there what you've wrote your last book there on about recognizing signs question and listen and, and pointing people in the right direction to help I think is a is a real good foundation to be able to take from and and actually, it's, people don't need to be trained in that. They can be, you know, anybody can do it, can't they? Yeah. Yeah, I think from my point of view, this is what this is about, really. It's um, We have mental health first aid. There's a lot of businesses. We do have sections of the British business that have these specific, especially the bigger ones, corporates that we've been into, that have these things, like one of the banking places we went to, they have, we have something called mental wealth, which is like a, a specific thing for people's mental well-being. And it's, but no one accesses it, so... 
it looks like everyone's okay. Um, yeah. And we've spoken to different places within the NHS where they have things that, that are there to access, but people don't access them for fear of losing their job or fear of loss of opportunity or fear of being labelled as whatever it may be and therefore not being able to be successful within it. And I think from my point of view with the, the sort of here to talk thing is it's, it's not about having specific people that you go to it's about giving everyone the skill just to have that conversation because a lot of the time you, you recognize the sign you ask a question and you listen and that's enough and if we can do that for each other regularly then it kind of lets off that little bit of steam so it prevents the serious issues it's when we don't talk for a long period of time about something that gets worse and worse and worse and worse and worse until it's in a situation where it's very difficult to get back out of it an occupational therapist said to me that what we're doing in the hair industry is incredible because we are allowing people to offload regularly and therefore preventing serious mental health issues. But by the time people get to her, they haven't spoken to anyone. They've lost their job, they've lost their family, their home, they're addicted to something, whatever it is. And it's a very steep slope to get back out of that. So it's more about empowering everyone around us in the community to have these conversations, to be confident to have them and everyone to feel safe to know that it's okay to have them with people because we're telling people to be vulnerable and then uncomfortable when they are. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think a couple of points I've just noted down there. One is around people can just get lost off, can't they? So a business I've just been to this morning, actually, they've got somebody who is involved with drinking and he's just kind of dropped off the radar. You know, he's kind of, he's not involved with work. He's not getting in touch with anybody. There's no engagement with him at all. And it's how much the business can try and do to try and bring him back into work. You know, they've called mm -hmm. him, they've tried to go to his house, they've, you know, and, and he is around and about, they know he's, well, he's okay as in he's alive, but they don't know how much more that they can help and assist. So I think it's kind of, some people can just easily get lost off. And I think once you're down that road, then it's very, very difficult to to come back out of, which is obviously where you guys, you know, as you say, people do still go and get their hair cut, don't they? You know, they're still going, that's part of what people do. So I think that's really relevant. The other point I was just thinking about there is, obviously, as you said, some of these bigger companies and any size companies have got, schemes in place to be able to access you know whether that's on-site counseling or employee assistance program and things but there's a real low number of people who actually take that up in the workplace so do you think that is around people's fear of how that's perceived at work and kind of the impact that will make upon them by by engaging with those services from a personal experience and anecdotally from the place we, we go into lots of businesses so we go and provide pop-up safe space haircuts on construction sites corporates all over the place and basically we offer a free haircut and start use that vehicle of a haircut as a conversation starter for mental health and I hear it all the time in all different areas sectors they won't go and access these things for fear of loss of job for fear of loss of opportunity for fear of being named and shamed that, that I hear that all the time and that's not just in construction that's not just in within the NHS places we've been to it's not it seems to be across the board that I hear that very regularly and we've gone to places as well where we've asked well perhaps we're delivering a talk or a seminar or whatever it may be or panel and we ask for somebody who may be c-level to come and speak about their issues because I think obviously if you're at the top of any business you've dealt with mental health issues whether it's mm -hmm. stress whether it's anxiety or, and if they speak about it then it, it gives out that that message that it's okay but they're very 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 reluctant to do that until we have people at a high level saying it, because they often say, oh, we'll get someone from HR to talk about it. But HR people talk about it all the time, right? So it's not, doesn't have any impact. And it's, it's, a, it's a bit of a shame, I feel. And I just think that if, you know, if we make it okay, make it normal, because it is normal. 
everybody struggles with mental health. We all have a brain. We all have ups and downs, whether you're at the top or the bottom of the, the pile. And do you think there's been, so obviously, I mean, your moment where this all started from back in 2014, I mean, there's, there's been a significant change, hasn't there, from mental health about how it's spoken about, how it's perceived, how people are more willing to step forward, kind of to do things personally, privately, obviously the impact that's made on the NHS. There's been such a stage difference in, what, nine years since you've kind of been doing what you're doing. Have you seen a significant difference and how has that impacted within from a business point of view? I think it is it is getting better. But again, I think we're predominantly telling people to talk, but people don't know how to respond. I still think there's a lot of fear around it. But also, I think there's a lot of... Um, I've been doing some work with Anna Freud Centre. Uh, they deal with mental health under 25 so young people. And unfortunately, I don't fall into that category anymore. I haven't for a long time. But they're doing a lot of stuff. And I think the awareness around mental health, that like they said, is that people are self-diagnosing. I'm anxious, therefore I have anxiety. I'm sad, therefore I'm depressed. And I think there's a you know there's an education piece which they're putting together for young people as well, which is being anxious is a normal part of life and being sad is normal emotion so it's about how we educate around these mental health conditions because mental health is a very much a buzzword we talk about it do people understand it we're telling people to talk are we prepared to respond well because I think for men especially if they open up and speak to somebody it's probably the first person they've spoken to and if they get shot down with responses like oh you'll be all right mate or there's people worse off than you or because people are scared and don't know what to say or then yeah. they just talk about their own problems, and that one person will just think, yeah, they don't want to hear my problems. I am a burden. I am, and they probably might, they might not open up to anyone again. So it's about making the most of these opportunities. If someone opens up to you, that is a huge honour. They say trust you, and that is incredible. I, I, I get it. I don't have to do the recognise and ask part of my training anymore, very, very rarely, because yeah. I live in talking in Devon, and every time I go out without a fail, I went out with a friend that I've, for my own mental health reasons, I made a point of seeing friends this year that knew me other outside of the mental health arena of what I do. People that know me since before that. And I went out with a friend who just moved back from London and I had five, five people when I was either going to the bar for a drink or going to the toilet that came up to me and stopped me and said, you're the mental health guy, aren't you? I mean, I'm six foot three and covered in tattoos and weigh 20 stones, so I don't really, I can't really hide, but... They all said to me, you're the mental health guy. Yes, that's right. Well, I'm going through. And just opened up to me there in the bar. Because they know I'm a safe space. People do want to talk. If they feel safe, they do yeah. want to talk. But the important thing is making people feel safe. And if you do, and they tell you that they're struggling with something, the response is vital. Thank them for telling yeah. you. Thank you so much. I feel honoured that you trust me with this. I don't know what you're going through, but I'm here. Let, let's talk it through, and hopefully I can try to understand where you are, and maybe we can come up with a solution, and just give it to them. You don't have to come up. But we think we've got to fix and solve everything, which is the yeah. biggest problem, and that's why we're fearful of it. But actually, it's not about that. It's about giving them a platform to hopefully be able to fix and solve or come up with a plan for themselves. Yeah. And I was just thinking, you know, as you can imagine, you, you're walking through a bar or you're on your way somewhere, and someone's actually probably been sitting there thinking, that's a mental health guy. But actually, what has it taken for them to get up to come and have that conversation with you? Yeah. You know, that, yeah. that's probably took a massive thing. And they don't know you and they wanted to share something with you. And not necessarily for a result, but just for the, the fact of the need to talk, isn't it? The, the conversation, the need to talk. So that's, that is very significant, I think, isn't it? For what people have gone through to get to that point of having the conversation with you. Yeah. And I think, like, I've, I've had it before lots of times when we've done training, people say that, 
I've lost somebody to suicide. That's why I'm here. And then after training, they said, I did recognise they were, I don't know, spending more time in their room or drinking more or whatever. But I rationalised it to myself and gave it reasons and said, oh, they're probably doing this because of this. And they're probably doing this because of this. But, and I didn't ask them. And now I wish I had. And I think we, we are aware of these things. We are capable of recognising those changes in behaviour that means something has happened. You know, if you've got a friend that comes to work and they're always on time and look fantastic and then all of a sudden they start coming in late, that's a change in their behaviour, which means something has happened, which is an opportunity to ask a question. And I think yeah. we miss too many of those opportunities. Mm-hmm. And I think that that comes as being kind of other people's lives are busy. They don't always take them cues, do they? And that was the yeah. conversation I was having this morning, kind of, you know, someone coming in and maybe he's looking a bit dishevelled or they're, they're not the way that they would normally present or maybe it's a personal hygiene isn't it? and that kind of being repetitive over a few days is certainly something that from a from an employer point of view and, and work colleague point of view that's the type of thing that you should look out for isn't it and even if you don't want to address it yourself kind of you know try and address it within the business that you've got some concerns over somebody which just yeah. kind of helps the conversation to start doesn't it yeah yeah and I think it's about like having those pre-conversations and then making them feel okay and safe and then signposting them to other things that are available did you know our our workplace has this did you know there's this great website called hubofhope.co.uk and it will give you a list of resources in your area did you know that and once you make them feel it's okay then they'll they'll you know it's not you can eat a horse water but you can't make it drink but I think the option is to put as many different types of water in front of that Course. I mean, some people drink tap water. Some people like San Pellegrino. You just you put as many different things in front of that person. Hopefully, mm-hmm. they'll they'll take a sip from one of them. And when we talk about the recognised dishevelled looks, also that change in behaviour can be what our society claims as as uh, a positive. You know, so losing weight. People think it's like, oh, you look fantastic. You've lost weight. I know from my own personal experience as a big guy, well, I've lost weight, and it's been because I was stressed and upset and. And people keep telling you, you look amazing. And oh, thanks. Inside, you're like, no, I'm, I'm really struggling right now. Life's pretty rubbish, you know. And, and you know, socialising, people think that's always a positive. But actually, it can be because they're hiding from something, you know. So it doesn't have to always be what society perceives as a negative, like gaining weight or isolation. It can be the, the other flip side of that. If it's a change in their behaviour and all of a sudden these things are happening, yeah. it, you know, it can be a bad thing. Yeah, it can be picked up that way. And I think all kind of very relevant points, as you say, I think sometimes people do have that, the, the face on, don't they? Kind of that actually, yeah, everything's fine, but it, it's when things are happening kind of under the skin that people need to, to be able to pick apart a little bit more there as well. So obviously you've kind of built this, you've done all of the training that you've done. I think you said about three and a half thousand people have been trained in that. So is that is that the collective element of what it is that you're doing? Is that the, the Lions Barber collective? Yeah. I mean, for us, a collective is, it started off as that because there was 30 of us that got together to create these images, this lookbook. So we were originally the Lions Barber Collective, but it's such a great word of, you know, because it means together and a lion's pride, you know, together they're stronger. You know, a lion may be king of the jungle, but about its pride is nothing. So, you know, it's about bringing people together. And the hair and beauty industry is a great platform to do that because our infrastructure is incredible. I mean, if we can... Every, every single town, tiny village, hand, they've always got hairdressers. It's accessible to most people. And uh, you know, I'm trying to get my training into colleges and schools so that the next generation of hairdressers and barbers and beauticians that come through already have that skill set. Because I can remember being on the shop floor at Tony and Guy as a, as a young man. And when you first start, you really have to think about every step of the haircut, every step of that process, because it's on someone's head for starters. And 
you know, you can't escape it if you go wrong. So you're thinking about that. And then these women in the chair, because I tell you guys, most, mostly women I was cutting, and they'd start talking to me about the menopause and the miscarriages and affairs. And I'm thinking, I don't know, I'm an 18-year-old guy. I don't know anything about this. And I wasn't prepared to have those conversations. And whether you like it or not, as a hairdresser or barber, you will experience those conversations with people because you're there for their journey, for the ups and downs, the losses and the, and the, the highs and the lows. You know, it's... It's part of it, but they're not trained to how to have those conversations. We're trained to do a job, which is cut your hair. Yeah. We're not entertainers. We're, we're haircutters. You know, you don't go to the mechanic and ask him to change your oil and ask him to entertain you at the same time. You get on with the job. A bit difficult to leave your your wig behind, you know. But it's uh, it's part of that part yeah. of that human connection. So you know, working with colleges like there at the moment, working with Rexham College to get it into their sort of curriculum, really, so that they all have this this training and if, if we continue to do that for the next 10 15 20 years then all the hairdressers and barbers and beauticians within that area that have gone through there will have that skill set and hopefully we'll see some sort of positive impact from that yeah and I was gonna say it's quite interesting as you say getting it into the starting point because as you say people don't go into hair and beauty and think that that's what they're going to do they think they're going in and they're, they're going to be cutting hair and they're going to do so to actually then for people to open up to them then it is a good way to be able to do it and is it something from kind of a point of view of what you want how you want to take it forward you said everyone within that area hopefully in the next 10-15 years will be able to do that kind of what what's your what's your overall aim I mean obviously you're making a difference now and you kind of you know it's, it's substantial what it is that you're doing even just from our conversation today it's kind of amazing work that you're doing what's your ideal what is it that you would like to see in the future for it I mean for me there's, there's two elements the, the training obviously and being able to give the next generation of hairdressers and barbers beauticians across the country potentially you know forever i used to travel the world cutting hair on stage they'd always ask me about the lions barber collective or mental health every time i came off stage whether it was in australia or brazil or wherever hawaii people would just come off stage and they wouldn't talk to me about the haircut maybe it's because my haircuts weren't any good but they would talk to me about the mental health, I've been through this, I've had clients that are just so relatable to me, and that's that's a global thing, we're all human, we all have a brain, we all have highs and lows, and I just think if maybe, you know, eventually it's something that is shoehorned into the curriculum somewhere, so that the hairdressers and barbers and beauticians are, are prepared for that conversation, but also as a knock-on, because they've got to look after them as well, but as a knock-on effect, they are able to look after their clients and colleagues, and so that side of thing, obviously with the training, also support for the hair and beauty industry and raise the perceived value of what we do because people say I'm just a barber I'm just a beautician I'm just a hairdresser and when I went into it I left I was going to go to university to study ancient history and Egyptology and I didn't I did a 180 and went into hairdressing and all my tutors were disappointed in me for not going to university and I want to change that perception of the value of what we do and I think the lockdown made people realize how much they miss their hair and beauty professionals but maybe change that perception and see them as really important parts of the community and then with the charity it's about sustainability and growth you know I can't do it forever and I want it to be able to go on long after me you know I want it to become its own standalone thing the Lions Barber Collective and as a any big charity you can think of Calm, Mind, Oxfam, whatever go on and make a difference for I don't know decades into the future. Yeah, to as many people as well. And that's the word and I've just wrote down there actually is making a difference. Mm. What you're doing is making a difference to people. And one of the examples that you gave there at the beginning where someone had opened up and had a conversation, then gone on to live a, a, a good life and kind of married and kids and things. And actually mm. what a difference that that's made. And I would imagine that there's been so many other 
you know, with three and a half thousand people trained, I would imagine that there's been so many other touch base points like that, that that has made a difference. And what a good kind of coverage that you've got for it. As you're talking about globally, people are recognizing you as someone to be able to go to, to be able to share those stories with. And, you know, want to approach you coming off the stage, as you say, not to necessarily talk about your haircuts, but to talk about what it is that you do and the difference that you're making, I think is such a testament to what you're doing, really the impact that you're making on people. So you have obviously, I think we said there at the beginning, you have received an award from the Prime Minister. Do you want to give us a little bit more about what it was that that led to that and what that award actually was? Uh, that was um, that was a points of light award for recognising the, the volunteer work and the stuff that we'd done around mental health at that time. I was still in the salon at that time, served my, served my salon, and I had a phone call whilst I was doing a client, and I normally tell them to phone back because I'm with a client. I, I'll take a number, I'll call you back. And the assistant came back over and said, it's the Prime Minister's office, they want to speak to you. I was like, God, okay, so I better take that call. Um, uh, and my client was like, yeah, my client's like, fine, <laughs> take that call, yeah, fine. Um, so yeah, I took it, and then we had, it was a process, really. It was kind of like uh, interviews, and they checked everything, and it was kind of over a period of time. I didn't know what it was for, or what I, I didn't really know what a Points of Light award was, or anything like that, really. But it was nice recognition, and... It's funny, actually, it seems like a while ago now, so it's sort of, you kind of forget about these things because everything's just moving forward all the time, you know? You kind of just forget that you've you've done these things. It was a similar thing with Prince William as well. It was a phone call from the, the Royal Foundation at whilst I was at work to say they wanted to meet us, and that took about eight months to get everything in place for the meeting. And, yeah, yeah so on reflection, it's an amazing piece. It's one of those things, isn't it? Life is so fast, and you're moving on, and there's always so much to do, and we're a very tiny team. I'm the only full-time employee. We have Cara, who's my saviour, who works with my right-hand lion. She works in the office and makes things happen. And um, and we just want to try and grow and gain sustainability. So just kind of touching back, obviously, the Prince William situation. So obviously you met with him because he does a lot of work around mental health, doesn't he, work with different charities. And so was that a connection around from a charity point of view with regard to the mental yes. health? Yes, that was. Yeah, it was the same thing. It was like a phone call through the Royal Foundation. We, Prince William would like to meet you and... I'd like to meet the barbers, so we, yeah, we went through like an eight-month process. There was security checks and a location and all that, and he was really lovely, to be fair. We spent an hour with us, and I was sort of like the host of it and introduced him to Paul, who we spoke about earlier on, the first life saved, and another friend of mine that was now a friend of mine, uh, who was struggling at the time, a couple of our barbers, like lead ambassador barbers. And yeah, that was that was fantastic. And since then, I've actually met Kate at the Anna Freud Center when we were doing some stuff around that. So, and they they expressed interest in it again. It's but it's not easy people to tie down, as you can imagine. They've probably got their diaries booked for the next five years. But it's uh, it's just lovely. Yeah, I was going to say that recognition from that level is is amazing, isn't it? And I think one of the important points there again uh, noted down is kind of the reflection piece of you know you've done all of that and actually we always and kind of from a business point of view I'm always kind of a million miles now chasing chasing and kind of creating and and it very much sounds like you're the same thing but actually you never really put that pause on do you to reflect back on all the great achievements that you've done and where you're at and why you are where you are now isn't it because of what you've created yeah Yeah, I think it's been it's like I said to you before we started this is my fourth podcast of the day and I haven't done me for a while I've been so busy and but it's uh when you do something like this and actually reflect on you ask questions about those things that I probably slipped my mind I'd even done so it is nice reflection piece and feeling the love today from people so that's really lovely that's good that's because you're making a difference though isn't it ultimately that's what we're what we're doing so probably one of the last things I was just going to mention to you obviously you've done a TEDx talk as well so what was it on kind of initially because obviously TEDx is 
difficult to get into, isn't it? And there's kind of the inspiration element of it there. So what was it that you actually did it on and when did you do it? So TEDx, that was 2018. As again, I said, I had a sound at the time. So I used to lie in stuff I had to do in the evening once I finished work. So I'd often be up until sort of 11 midnight on the laptop trying to sort bits and pieces out. And I actually just had a an email from them inviting me to do one. So I, I and it was TEDx Exeter, which was one of the most viewed, apparently. I watched TED Talks, so I was just instantly, actually, I shut my computer, laptop down, closed it. And my partner at the time was like, what's going on? You know, this is a bit, that's a bit of weird behaviour. What are you playing at? And what have you just seen? And I told them and she was like, you've got to do it. And I was like, I don't think I can. I don't, she was like, you travel around the world cutting hair on stage in front of thousands of people, surely. I'm like, yeah, but I'm hiding behind a haircut. And it was probably the most stressful thing I'd done up to that point of preparing the script, memorising the script, going out on stage. And my, uh, my ex-partner was pregnant at the time with my second son and she was due like two days before and I was just praying for her to have the baby so I didn't have to do it to be fair <laughs> it was about the journey of Lions Bible Collective and why it started and and what our hopes are but it was probably the most terrifying thing I've probably most terrified I've ever been in my entire life and just before I went out on stage the guy said to me there's a thousand people in the audience and there's 35,000 people live streaming I was like fantastic absolutely great <laughs> <laughs> but I got for it and it was yeah and I think if I did it now, it would be a lot better and I'd be a lot more comfortable. But it is definitely a an amazing thing to say that I've done that. And it definitely gave me a platform and credibility to, for the charity and our message and our story and been able to do that and deliver those talks yeah. to many, many people since. Yeah. And I think, as you say, when, when people are stopping in the street, it is because of seeing things like that, isn't it? Kind of insane yeah. publicity. And I think it's a, the publicity and yeah. marketing element of what you're doing is crucial for that as well, because that's where you make more of the difference as well. Yeah. So I suppose kind of from a point of view of what people are doing, obviously we talk about it in the workplace side of things, what do you think a business or kind of a HR could do to support mental health more in the workplace? You're obviously seeing that because you're going in and you're working with some bigger companies and you're doing some seminars and doing some training on recognising the signs. But is there anything that, you know, a small business owner could potentially go, do you know what, if I just did that, that would make a big difference to people? Is there, is there anything that you can think of, you know, that would be useful for people? Yeah, I think personally it's about just just letting people know it's a safe space reassuring them that it's okay i'm here this non-judgmental safe space is the biggest thing you can do if that comes from the top then i think it makes even more of an impact because people often see the boss as successful and they often see him as maybe quite stoic and quite you know maybe sometimes quite cold and approachable but if that person becomes just open with them and willing to share and also willing to listen that can make such a big difference and we've done it a lot of times so think about small companies we've done off the back of the pandemic dr peter aitken who helped develop the mental health training for here to talk and barber talk he actually was the head of mental health at the nightingale hospital so what they were doing to check because obviously the, the staff were bombarded with awful situations day in day out so they did a thing called mental health ppe so whilst the people were putting on and taking off the ppe because they had two people to do it they would just check in how was your how was your night last night how was your journey in is everything okay how are you feeling today and at the end of the day same thing how was your day is everything okay how are you feeling those just general questions i think you can do that within our we can make time for that in our workspaces to do that and just check in because then you're going to catch it aren't you because it's either going to be with our mental health it's normally situational 
and it's our home life, our work life, or our third space, which ends up causing our mental health problems. So if you can check in with people regularly, we can catch it earlier and make them feel supported as well. Because that's a big thing for a lot of the people we speak to will say, well, at least I know they're, they're like if we go to a particular space that are very good, they'll say, at least I know that I've got this. If I need it, they're there for me, which takes the edge off massively. Mm-hmm. Just makes people more comfortable and confident to be able to speak out, doesn't it? So from your point of view, where can people find out more about you, the work that you're doing and kind of ongoing? You fire away with all the different places that you'll be. <laughs> <laughs> well, so obviously social media, if you search for the Lions Barbers or you go on our website, lionsbarbercollective.com, we're all over that. So you can find out about things that we're up to. Uh, mine is Tom Chapman underscore hair, and that's often... I, you know, through my stories, keep up to date with where I am and what we're doing. If you are interested in the training side of things and getting that, you can find our emails and contacts via the website. But yeah, I mean, we're all over the place at the moment. We're doing lots of different things. Uh, last week, we were at Red Bull Technology at the F1 doing haircuts there. And then we were at a construction site a couple of days later. And then, you know, we're in, we're in offices. So we are all over the place. We might have already been to your workspace or we may be coming there soon because we've got a busy 2024 ahead of us. And But we're we're trying to grow and scale. So if there's anyone from any business that wants to have the uh, Lions Barber Collective come in and provide these haircuts and headspace, safe space mm-hmm. pop-ups, we are able to do that as well. Yeah, I think that's, that's great. You know, I think there's different types of businesses that, you you know, as you say, you're not just focusing on one particular area. You're kind of you're doing all the way across from like all different sectors as you move through. So I think that that's kind of a, a real beneficial side of things as well. So that wraps up our episode of Real World HR. So I'm absolutely massive thank you to Tom for sharing his insights and expertise with us today. If you want to head over to the show notes to connect with Tom, watch his TEDx, look at the barbers, prevent suicide, one haircut at a time, right, explore more about the advocacy of men's mental health, please do so. Subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss out on future episodes and please leave us a rating and a review. Real World HR, putting the human back into HR.